Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Going Deep with Brett English. I have Paz with me, who needs no introduction. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming down. You are absolutely welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, such a pleasure. Um, my first question for you, what is your go-to karaoke song? Oh, it would have to. So it would have to be Skater Boy by Avril Lavigne. Oh, really? I know. Very. I, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know me. Yeah. <laughs> I like to keep people on their feet. I think it was just because growing up um, playing SingStar, that was oh, yeah. somehow always the song PS2? that. Yes. Yeah. Yep. I love always that game. the song that I that I went to, and mm. so it would have to be Skater Boy by Avril Lavigne. Wow. Yep. That's that's epic. I know. Right. <laughs> okay, and. What's your favourite nickname you've ever been given? I don't know about favourite, um, but I did have my childhood nickname. So before I could say words like yeah. mum, dad, etc., I would make this one repetitive sound over and over again, and it was woo. Woo. Just woo. 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 Just over and over again. Oh, and wow. so my parents started calling me woo, woo. and I just responded. And That's cool. I was so embarrassed being called woo. Really? Yeah, throughout my whole childhood. And even now, every now and then, if my parents will say it, I'm like, can we not? Oh, wow. <laughs> what if that's your spirit name or something? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I was an owl in my past life. Possibly, yeah. Yes. Were you a spirit animal? Yep. That's for sure. <laughs> All right. Now, given your experience in psychology mm. and spirituality, this mm -hmm. question I've been dying to ask you, um, mm. How would you define ego and what, what is the ego? So my understanding of ego has always tended to kind of come from more of a Jungian perspective. So Carl Jung, mm. um, it's, it's kind of that subconscious, unconscious part of us that mm. runs the show. Um, I, I actually feel like it gets a bad rep. Yeah. I feel like it gets a really, really bad reputation, but we don't, I feel like we don't understand it enough. Being a part of that subconscious, that up unconscious, mm. um, it, it still has this air of mystery about it, I guess. Um, we actually, we need an ego to be able to survive and function as human beings mm. in this world. Yeah. I, I conceptualise it to the people that I work with. I'm such a nerd. So... Star Wars Episode 5, when Luke Skywalker meets Yoda for the first time okay. and he's carrying Yoda on his back. And I feel like Yoda is this perfect representation of like wisdom and just truth and like yeah. our true capital S self. And Luke is the one who has the legs, is running around and is able to do the things that Yoda is kind of like wanting for him to do. Mm. So we have this capital S self or we have this spirit, this soul, mm. right? But then we also have this body, this, this meat suit and this thing to kind of walk around in. And yeah. our ego is kind of the vehicle that allows for us to do the things that we want to do. Okay. And so it can obviously be in higher ego or lower ego. And mm. when we talk about ego, people often attribute it to lower ego. Okay. Um, Kanye West. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is that like ego and super ego or is this like another subsection of um, ego? That's, that is kind of more Freudian, okay. um, which I, I haven't looked into too much, even though mm. he's like 
godfather of psychology. Yeah. So that's a bit of a slap on the wrist for me there. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, as I said, it's kind of a little more Jungian um, okay. in terms of my conceptualization of mm. ego. And, you know, we have this, this upper ego, which is allows us to function in this world, it allows us to go after our hopes and dreams, to eat right, to sleep, to go to the gym, to get mm. up and walk, to put these clothes on, to express ourselves the way we yeah. want to be expressed. And then we also have the lower ego as well, which mm. is um, when we're not really acting in alignment of what we truly want and we're just kind of grasping onto these other things or we're acting from a place of wounding yeah. that, that more kind of lower yeah, vibration. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Does that lower ego come from like the body and our primal drives or air conditioning? Or is it, I don't know, I wouldn't know how to describe it, the lower ego, because like I always think of uh, humans as being part divine and part animal, mm, you know? Yes. And there's always a battle going on, so the ego's maybe the battleground for that or like how we act in the world depending on how we feel what our urges are or what our conditioning is like mm, mm. I I do feel that even like we can't forget our humanness mm. and even if we do have these lower drives and urges mm. um, we don't want to be responding and acting on them out of impulsivity but it's like okay where is this maybe we can explore like where is this actually coming from where is this yeah. drive where is this urge coming from mm. is it coming from me is this just part of my humanness or is this something that I need to kind of like look into here yeah. so in terms of um, maybe who we want to relate with on, on an intimate level is mm. this actually coming from like oh I genuinely enjoy this person I'm a human mm. I have desires, yeah. um, relating with people on an intimate level is actually mm. an incredibly beautiful thing that we can do. Or is this a one night stand because it's going to make me feel good about myself? Yeah. Okay. You know, it's, it's mm. that discrepancy. Yeah. Yes. That's cool. Yeah. And another kind of way that I like to conceptualize like the discrepancy between like ego and self is kind of like, think of a chessboard, right? So ego is the one who's like moving. The, the, the moving parts, mm. it's going to say, all right, this thing moves over here and to counteract that, I'm going to move here. So this is me moving in my life, making all of these decisions. Yeah. And the self is the board. Oh, wow. It just watches and it just holds the place for like, yep, yeah, this, is, this is what's going on. I'm going to create a container. I'm going to create oh, a wow. container for this. Yeah. Are, are there any techniques that you found to help yourself merge with the, the higher self in your thinking and activities and your doing? The word, I think it's the word doing. When you said the word doing, that just clicked for me is that for me to merge with my higher self, I need to not do. Okay. I need to be. Mm. I need to be a human being and not a human doing. Yes. Because that is, that is the ego, is the doing. Mm. Okay. And that is totally okay. Because mm. otherwise we would all just be like blobs, you know, True. not actually really evolving. Mm. Um, yeah, it's it's just being. Yeah, so finding the balance between being and doing. Yes. Is the the key. Yeah, I'm I'm still finding that mm. balance. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we all are. Hey, it's a tough one. Yeah, uh. it's it is interesting because um obviously you know like I'm into yoga as well and in my yoga instructing and in the yogic philosophy balance isn't actually a word it's balancing. 
Oh. It's not a thing or a state that we achieve. It is something that we are constantly doing. It's constantly yeah. this pull and this push, this I'm yeah. a little bit too far to the left, let's adjust a little bit too far to the right. Mm. And it wasn't until I fully embodied that to be like, oh, I'll never actually achieve this state of balance. It's more the act of balancing that I will mm. always be walking on that tightrope trying to adjust where my weight is going. And it's okay if I'm too far to the right because I know and trust that I will be able to swing back to the left. Wow, that's so. That's actually so cool. Yeah. First time I've heard of that analogy, and it's actually so perfect because um, yeah, the light bulb went up in my head just then. So that's awesome. Mm. Um, I have another question for you, maybe a tough one, but in the world of spirituality and also in the world of psychology, um, sometimes things happen in life where you think, okay, that could be that could be a mental illness or a condition, mm. or it could be a spiritual happening or phenomena. Mm. Have you seen these in your work life or practice or just in life in general? Where people are getting confused between the two. I, there are a couple of things that I want to speak into. So I suppose like from a more professional outlook, there's not really too much that I have seen in terms of people getting confused between a spiritual phenomena and like an actual kind of phenomena of the psyche, yeah. um, disruption of the psyche of the soul of the mind. Mm. I've only really seen it in a specific population of people, and that is our First Nations peoples, okay. um, because spirituality is part of their health. It's part of who they are as a being. Connection mm. to land, connection to country is yeah. part of their health. And when we take that away from them, they do become unhealthy. And so when they kind of have that um, sickness of, I'm away from land, I'm away from country, I'm, you know, sick because I'm away from country. Yeah, um, yeah I, I mean, I suppose that for us is be like, maybe you take some guy who loves being in the gym and has all these muscles and then suddenly mm. his muscles go away, his gym goes away. It's gonna be pretty pissed off and upset, isn't he? Like yeah. that's his definition of health. Mm. And so when we have our First Nations peoples whose definition of health and well-being is spirituality and country and, we take, and that is taken away, mm. um, of course they're going to be unwell, yeah. depressed, turn to substances to try and cope. Mm. Um, and so when that is kind of where I have seen the mismatch of, we try and take a population who their understanding of health and well-being does not align with the Western model and mm. we try and apply Western principles and it just doesn't yeah, it doesn't work. Doesn't yeah. It really doesn't gel at all. It's like trying to fit a square into a circle. That mm. is probably where I see it the most. Um, I can comment on that I feel, for me, um, I look at the etymology of the word psychology and, you know, psyche, soul, ology, mm. study of, study of the soul. That's wow. been completely removed. Mm. In psychology, trying to legitimise itself as a science, we've forgotten that there is an actual soul and a spirit and a person mm. inside of the being that we see in front of us that we're trying to treat. Yeah. And so I don't think that it has, that spiritual experiences and phenomena have been mistaken. I think that they have been just completely forgotten altogether. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I feel that we do need to incorporate a sense of we are actually spiritual beings mm. with souls and personalities and we need to get back to that. Yeah. It needs to be reincorporated. Do you see that happening anytime soon? 
You know what? I actually do. Oh, wow. I actually do. And I, the reason that I believe that is because in America, where a lot of the clinical trials for um, psychedelic and plant medicine for mm. people experiencing complex PTSD, for our war veterans, um, yeah. treatment-resistant depression, things yeah. like that, when they are giving individuals this beautiful sacred plant medicine, mm. they do it in a very ritualistic way. So mm. they're not just like, hey, Here's, here you go, here's your pills. Um, yeah. They acknowledge that there is this sort of sacred element to that wow. and that is really respected and upheld. Mm. And so that for me was like, ah, nice. I, think we're, mm. I think we're understanding things here. That's beautiful. Yep. Could you see yourself doing that kind of work? Brett, that is my sole mission and oh, purpose. Really? Yes. Wow. So I was tossing up between doing my master's or being a naturopath. And I chose my master's because for me at that point in time in my life and my kind of my mentality, mm. I felt that that had more job prospects for me. Yeah. But I still have this part of me that's so interested in natural medicine and herbs mm. and how we can use the earth for our healing, the way yeah. that you know we have for hundreds of thousands of years. Mm. And then here it is. Bang, yeah. Yeah. What plant medicines would you like to facilitate in? Uh, definitely psilocybin. This yep. is the one that I am most familiar with. Mm. Um, I also feel um, like I'm kind of interested in LSD as well. Oh, really? That'd be interesting. Yeah, interested mm. in it. Um, but I'm not, I'm not familiar enough mm. to be able to kind of comment yeah. on it. But I just have a little like, ah. Oh, a curiosity yeah. about it. And I know that ketamine and MDMA are also mm. being used. I've heard about that, yeah. Yeah, not sure about um, like San Pedro, Huachuma or peyote. I'm mm. not too... Maybe it's a too long, too long a period. Yeah. 18 hour facilitation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so wow. definitely, definitely psilocybin. That's mm. amazing, yeah. I will definitely come to your practice when that's ready. <laughs> you will be welcomed with open arms. That's amazing. Um, I have some more songs, uh, not songs, I have some more questions for you. Um, okay, this one's a bit tough. In recent years, mental health has been like skyrocketing and suicide and things like that. What do you think are some of the leading causes of depression, anxiety and um, suicide in young people? Mm. That is a tough question. Yeah. I, I feel like society is evolving at a rapid rate in which our human evolution hasn't been able to keep up with. And mm. so we are constantly being bombarded with information, information mm. overload. And a lot of that information isn't ideal and isn't mm. conducive for us to function in a healthy, happy way. Not yeah. that happiness is the goal. Um, mm. I feel like having a goal of happiness is unobtainable mm. and it's ignoring all of our other humanness. Yeah, <laughs> um, but a lot of the information that we're receiving is just not okay. 
Um, and I think that when we are constantly bombarded with all of that information, it can skew our view of the world, especially for young people mm. who are incredibly impressionable. They're trying to figure out their own identity and their own place in this world. Mm. And it's hard to figure out, well, how do I even fit in in this world when I don't even understand the world? The world mm. seems like a big, scary place. Um, yeah, gosh, even introduction of social media, mm. things like that. Yeah. Um, there's there's a lot of like there's a, a lot of stuff. There's there's so a lot things, of yeah. stuff. Um, what are some tools people need to keep up with how society is moving, especially the younger generation? I don't think it's about us keeping up. Mm. I think it's about us stepping back and slowing down mm. and realizing that at the end of the day, um, we actually do have the decision to decide on whether we are going to. Um, participate in this or not. True. So something that I have recently come across and done everything within my power to embody is live your life by design and not by default. Mm. And so if we are told to live our life by default, which is you, um, you eat food made in a lab, you uh, stare at a screen all the time, mm. um, you are constantly told how you are not good enough and if you buy this product then you will be good enough. Mm. Uh, you go to a school where your passion isn't really honoured and moulded into a way that's going to benefit you. Yeah. Uh, you then enter a Monday to Friday, nine to five, well, maybe nine to five if you're lucky, probably more like eight to six, yeah. not including travel time. Um, a very sad picture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we're just expected to be cogs in a very, very broken machine that's mm. going to eventually undo itself. Um, and of course, like the world is an incredibly <laughs> anxiety inducing place. Mm. And anxiety is a very normal response to a very abnormal situation. Our body is supposed to be able to produce like the physiological symptoms of anxiety for us to be able to survive, to be able to perceive and respond to threat. But what's happening these days is that the threat that we're seeing mm. is the abnormal thing. It's not an actual threat to our lives, but we're perceiving mm. it that way. I see what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yep. <laughs> so it's not the it's not the um, the actual physiological response that we're having that's the problem. Mm. It's how we are interpreting the stimuli that we are perceiving as a threat. Is that a form of PTSD in reverse? Tell me more. Well, like you go through a really traumatic event and you get trauma from it. Mm -hmm. If you're preempting a traumatic event to come in the future, you're you're suffering in the same way. Like it's yes. pre. Traumatic stress disorder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Our, um, our anxiety is basically the narrative and the belief that we are telling ourselves that we do not have an ability to cope mm. with whatever it is, whatever outcome it is that we are predicting. Oh, so it comes that, from like a low self-worth in a way or low self-confidence in a way that you can't handle what's coming. Yeah. It is that I do not have capacity to deal with the thing that I believe is going to happen in my future. Well, that is what anxiety is. Mm. And that must be what's causing suicide, I suppose. That exactly the same thing, right? Or just one of many. 
Yeah, it's that I do not see that there is a way out of Mm. this life and I do not believe that there is another option or something else that is available to me because Mm. wherever I look around, all I see is evidence confirming my beliefs that the world is a scary and dangerous place. Mm. Yep. How much of a process in it is it when you find somebody or work with someone who is suicidal to bring them back? Have you done that work before or have you had clients or people in your life that you've had to bring back from that sort of state? Yes, unfortunately. Um, Suicidal ideation is kind of what we call, so idea, the idea that the thoughts that we're kind of having in our mind Mm. and um, is something that unfortunately I've I've come across too often. And what I've actually found is that people don't want their lives to end. They want their pain and their suffering to Mm. end. But the only way that they can kind of see a way out of that is through okay, let's just end this experience altogether. Wow. Yep, yep. Mm. Um, So we have to kind of really um, work with, you have to do the immediate stuff. So in terms of addressing the safety, the immediate safety, Mm. um, you also have to address um, just like impulsivity because it's Mm. quite, um, even though we can think about it and plan it, the actual doing of it is quite impulsive. So we have to try and manage the impulsive tendencies, work with a lot Mm. of grounding. And then we also work, like kind of once that person is a little more regulated, we Mm. work with the values and how can we see that there is a more value-filled life out there for you? What is Mm. important to you? Something that I always talk about with the people that I support is what is your purpose and what is your legacy? So that we can see that there is something in the future for us and something Mm. that is worth leaving behind for the people that really matter to us and for the people who are so dear and important to us. Wow, that's beautiful. Thank you. Wow, I love that. I actually love the way you said that. Um, Another question, where do you think thoughts originate from? (laughs) Mm. There's a lot of layers to that question. I really like that. Yeah. Thank you. So, so before you answer that, do you want the heater on? Are you cold? No, no, I'm, okay. I'm perfect. Yeah, thank Alrighty. you. I've got my got my lovely tea. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so the way that I kind of like to explain thoughts, because when you say to someone, you are not your thoughts, mm. Um, I know that for me, I really, really struggled at first when I started learning about this stuff. I really struggled with the idea that I was not my thoughts. Mm. Um, and yeah, I kind of had to explain it like if we, if we walk past a rose bush and we smell the roses, we don't say, I am the smell of roses. True. You know, it is an experience that we're having. Yeah. A thought is just an experience that we're having, but it's hard to separate from it because the mm. smell of roses is coming from outside of ourselves and the thoughts are coming from inside of ourselves. But it's still just an experience that we're having. And ultimately, our brain is there to help us survive. Survive, mm. reproduce. Mm. Whatever it takes to do those two things, that's what the brain is there okay. for. And the brain is filtering through these thoughts just Mm. to be like, okay, what's going to help me survive? So our thoughts are just basically our ideas, our hypotheses Mm. about the information that we are taking in. Mm. And 
Yeah, does that make sense? It does make sense, yeah. Yes. Well, it's almost like um, we're just beings of suggestibility. We see something and we think about it and it's not really... Yes. It's automatic. You can't really help that in a way. Yes, because that mm. is just us having an idea about what the information that we've just taken in means for our survival, for mm. our place in the world. Um, yeah, the interesting thing about that yeah. um, is that, yeah, where, do, where does that even come from? Because there's also, you know, the idea mm. of, of collective consciousness yeah. as well, um, which... For me, at first, was a little bit hard to to grasp. Um, you know, it's not tangible. I can't see it. I can't touch it. It's it's not real. Mm. Um, until I had, I, I started having psychedelic experiences, and there was someone who was sitting next to me who could see the very same thing that I could see that the other two people that I was with couldn't. Okay. And so I'm like, would you say projected phenomena or like some kind of otherworldly being? We, <laughs> it was very random. We just saw a couple walking down the street holding hands and then they both disappeared behind a tree. Oh. And it sounds incredibly bizarre. Yeah. And it was not a meaningful experience it's in the slightest. However, the fact that I and one other person saw exactly the same thing, we were bouncing off each other, we were describing it perfectly, the other two people were like, no, that, that did not happen. So that to me kind of opened up the idea that, okay, maybe there is something perhaps out there greater than we can explain. So that interests me, um, but it's not, it's not really an area that I work in or dabble in when okay. I am kind of as a professional, I guess, because yeah. I, I don't really understand it well enough. Yeah. Mm. Do you think that's a, um, a spiritual phenomena or a, um, a pure, purely mental phenomena? What you just experienced there? Oh, definitely, definitely spiritual. Mm. That's interesting, yeah, because sometimes mm. like if you're driving and the vision's not that great, you see something and you sort of do a bottom-up processing or top-down processing where you mm -hmm. see a little bit of something and your mind just imagines the rest. Yes. And that sort of, oh, that's not somebody, that's a light pole or something. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, oh, that's not a snake, it's a stick. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I have heard of the theory of there is, there are like mental groups of people. Do you know how mm. our bodies have chakras, they have seven groups of information? Yep. Our minds are also one of seven, but these sevens are external. So mm. everyone has their own sort of number or color or vibrational group that they belong to. Mm -hmm. And those of the same vibrational group can have telepathic moments or see the same thing because they're on the same frequency, wow. much more finely tuned. Yes. So when they experiment with like ESP and that sort of stuff, mm -hmm. sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But yep. it, it comes down to the mental groups because it's yep. easier yep. to do it in the same group. Yeah. That's just one theory. Yeah. That yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Mm. That makes a lot of sense. Not discounting that at all. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is, um, I want to ask you with thoughts as well, because like you can make your own automatic thoughts. Like I want to think of a mantra, and then you think of it. Mm -hmm. But other times, you're just driving the car and bang, you get hit with a thought. So like, yep. okay. Are there like thoughts in the collective that are just going around or can someone think and then that thought is like actually external to them like and you can pick it up like a radio signal? <laughs> or is that just going too far out <laughs> of the picture? <laughs> I feel like there is something to what you said. Mm. There's definitely something to what you said and I don't have the words for it. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Moving, moving forward. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, given your experience um, hosting workshops and all the stuff that you do, which is amazing, um, 
what are some things people can do to, to gain greater confidence of themselves and greater self-expression? You have to have an understanding of the self. Mm. What is authentic to you? And you have to be open to trying new things mm. to find out what you don't like as well. True. Yep. So you can't just sit there in this analysis paralysis and think, oh, well, what do I like? What don't I like? And what if I don't like this thing? It's You actually have to go out and do the thing. Mm. Um, mm, what else did you ask in that question? Oh, this was um, greater confidence and greater self-expression. Mm. I think they're kind of the same thing. Yeah. Cool. Confidence, self-expression, it comes down to what is authentically you, what is important to mm. you. So, you know, is it, is it with a paintbrush? Is it with your body? Is it with your voice? Is it with mm. an instrument? Is, yeah, we all express ourselves in different ways and no mm. one way is better than or greater than mm. or more true than the other. It just is, but we need to find out what that thing is for us. Um, so yeah, like what, what is important to you? What do you enjoy? What really ignites you? If there is shame around that, you gotta work through that. Mm. Like work through that shame. I know that for me, there was definitely a little bit of shame in terms of the way of how I move my body and how I want to move. Mm. So being classically trained, I was always told, bum in, tummy in, Rests in everything perfect yes. and structured yeah. and not a toe out of alignment. What kind of dancing is that? Classical dancing? Yes, ballet. Oh, ballet. Which yeah. I do love and I still love and I, mm. I do miss it. Um, the elegance and everything about it. Mm. Um, and then, there, but there wasn't really much room for moving the way that I wanted to move. Mm. And so I had to really get past the shame of that as yeah. well and thinking like, I'm going to be moving like this and I'm probably going to A, get some unwanted attention, B, mm. maybe have some unwanted glares. <laughs> but I had to be able to be okay with that. Mm. And it's funny because as soon as I was accepting that that might be an experience that I will go through, mm. it actually didn't become my reality at all. Oh, wow. So the second that I was like, I am actually okay if I get unwanted attention because I believe in my capacity to manage that. I am mm. actually okay if I get glares from other people because mm. this is me and I'm living my life for me and not for them and I believe in my capacity to manage that. Wow. The second that I accepted that, I didn't get it. Wow. And was that like a process for you of thoughts or just a process of feelings going through that? It was both. Mm. It was both committing to the thought of, I believe in my capacity to manage this, mm. sitting with the discomfort and doing the thing. Well, wow. I cannot stress enough that we get most of our power from actually doing the thing. Mm. That separates a lot of people, yeah. is the ones who have the ideas and the ones who actually commit and are consistent mm. with the execution of their ideas. I love that. That is, um, I'm mm. so glad this is recording. Uh, <laughs> and the confidence. We, there's just something that I wanna, wanna speak into just quickly is that um, I haven't always been a, a confident person. 
And that's because I was constantly comparing myself. And one of my, <laughs> one of my favorite stories is that there is, um, there's this guy and he is the CEO of um, the Founder Institute. Okay. Yeah, he is worth estimated like hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm. He went to a psychologist because he didn't feel like he was doing enough. And the psych was completely just bamboozled by this. Mm. It's like, how does this guy still feel like he's not enough? Mm. And this guy kept making comments about his roommate. Oh, but my roommate from college is doing this. My roommate from college is doing that. This guy's roommate was Elon Musk. Oh, really? <laughs> this guy was comparing himself to Elon Musk. Mm. And that is why he did not feel confident in his ability to run his very successful multi-million dollar company. Mm. Because he wasn't looking at himself and he wasn't comparing himself to who he was yesterday, last week, last month, last year, last yeah. decade. He was comparing himself to something outside of himself. Mm. And when we do that, that eats away at our confidence. Let's just say if Elon Musk wasn't his roommate, <laughs> do you reckon he would be that successful? What, what part I, of that? Would I would be. I would be willing to say yeah. 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 I feel like it takes a very special kind mm. of someone to be running that sort of. Yeah. yeah. And like I said, it's he clearly had the capacity to make that commitment to mm. his action and the discipline. Yeah. But sometimes those who you hang out with, you become. Oh, absolutely. You know, so that energy of Elon Musk could really be helping him out. <laughs> yeah. Very true, very true. Um, yeah. Do you have um, an experience, an experience of God or source? And how would you define that in this physical world? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't really have an experience of God, mm. of source. I undeniably, unquestionably will argue black and blue until I'm blue in the face mm. that there is something out there that, there that is greater than us that we cannot explain. Mm. And I think that that is what we conceptualise as God or mm. as source or as universe. Um, you know, there is a reason that across hundreds of thousands of years and all four corners of the globe that we have this this either one being or these multiple beings mm. that, that we turn to for for wisdom, you know, for purpose, for meaning in our life to make sense of what's going on. I feel like mm. there is definitely something that there is out there greater than us that we can explain. And I don't mm. I don't know if I actually want to be able to intellectualize it. Mm, I think that there are some mysteries of life that aren't supposed to be solved. They're just supposed to be experienced. Yeah. Mm. That's a very, very beautiful answer. Thank you. All right. Moving <laughs> forward again. <laughs> um, what was your biggest obstacle in um, the becoming of who you are now in your career, but also hosting workshops and those sorts of things? Perfectionism. Perfectionism. 100%. Mm. And it still rears its head every now and then. Okay. Yeah. Well, what does that look like when you're leading up to doing your first workshop or running a program? 
And how do you get work through that and get over that? Or is it just perfect? <laughs> well, Brett, I work through it by making sure that everything is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's... Um, mm. I think that for me, the biggest thing is being able to discern at what point is this just me being very particular and very mm. meticulous and that being a part of who I am and a part of me that's actually gotten me really far in life yeah. um, at such a young age. Mm. And then when is this perfectionism? So when is it particular and when is it perfectionist? Mm. Um, so that is something that is really important for me to be able to discern um, and then I think it's also just understanding like at what point do people say I don't like that because it wasn't perfect you know mm. I think I needed to put myself in other people's shoes and then think okay so when I have gone to workshops and there's been like maybe something's gone wrong or it hasn't been quote unquote perfect. Mm. It's still been a phenomenal experience for me. I've still gotten so much out of it. It's been, mm. yeah, really, really beneficial yeah. and it wasn't perfect. So I'm like, okay, so if that was my experience, then why am I expecting to put this like perfect experience onto other people? Why can't it just be? Mm. Um, so that is kind of a little discernment process that I need to go to or go through mm. is, is this me being particular mm. or is this me being perfectionistic? Yeah. But it's absolutely gotten in the way. There's things that I have wanted to do in terms of, you know, putting online courses out into the world, filmed it, um, edited it, got the tripod, everything, mm. the whole kit and caboodle. I had about seven or eight videos. They weren't perfect. So I deleted them all. Oh, you deleted them. What were they on? Yoga. It was oh, a flexibility yeah. course. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Everyone could get hips like Shakira. Really? <laughs> um, and, and I deleted it. Mm. And it was at that point that I realized, oh, this is actually a little bit of a problem here. Yeah. Mm. Well, what are some key signs now that help you? determine between your perfectionism and your being particular? Um, I think it's just asking, it's like genuinely just sitting with myself and being like, okay, is this me just knowing what my capability is, knowing what I have potential to be able to create? Mm. And then, at, so is that coming from a place of like wanting the best for myself and wanting to be able to fulfill my potential? Mm. Or is this coming from a place of, oh my gosh, if this isn't perfect, what are people going to say? What am I going to say about myself? So mm. it's like, is this coming from a place of love or is this coming from a place of fear? Okay. And if I start telling myself these fear stories, the what ifs, what if it fails? What if this person says something? What if not as many people show up? What mm. if I don't get as much money as I wanted to? Mm. The what ifs and the fear, that is how I know it's perfection okay. and perfectionism. Yeah, but the love is like, actually, I feel like I'm holding myself back here. I feel like I could be doing a little bit more. I feel like I could be giving a little bit more. Mm. That is when I know that it's coming from that healthy place of being particular, being driven, being mm. motivated, wanting to fulfill my potential. Beautiful. Mm. Love and fear. 
Yes. Beautiful. I love the, love the simplicity of that. Yeah, it's the most simple and beautiful discernment process that we can go through with mm. many things in life. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And um, what does dance and music mean to you? Oh, <laughs> you've gotten my shoulders moving even just with that question. Mm. Dance and music is expression of the soul. Mm. Dance and music for me, it's what I go through when my mind can't find the words to express. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Amazing. Yes. Yeah. And do you sing quite a lot? I do, actually. Yeah. I love singing and mm. I probably don't do it enough. Okay. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting, you know, music, like I said, for me is there are songs that I go to that, yeah, find the words that, that I can't find myself. And, and mm. it's a space for me to allow myself to feel the things that my mind can otherwise tell me that I should not be feeling that I can't be feeling. Mm. And I just think it is, it's beautiful expression. Yeah. Beautiful expression. Are you much of a writer? I used to be. Like poetry, songs, anything like that? Or just journaling and... I used to be quite into poetry, actually. One of my um, favourite poems is Invictus. And so my favourite like stanza from the, the poem is, um, It matters not how straight the gate or how far the punishment scroll. I am the master of my fate and the captain of my soul. Oh, that's beautiful. It got um, Nelson Mandela. Pardon? Think and Grow Rich, I think, is in that, in that book as well. Oh. About like creating a life by purpose. Yes. But anyway, continue. Nelson Mandela. Yeah. <laughs> it got him. It got him through prison. Oh wow. That, that poem. Yeah. Invictus. It's amazing how like there's two lines can affect the whole population. Oh my god. You know, the I power know. of art. Oof. Yes, yes. So I, I used to be into poetry, but it, I've kind of gone away from that a little bit to fulfil things that ignite me a little bit more. That's true. Mm, but I can yeah. still absolutely appreciate it. Mm. Do you reckon you're going to write a song in this life? Oh, I would like to. Mm. I would like to. Yeah. Um, what is actually your biggest fear? That is a fantastic question and I would have to say failure. Fear of failure. Truly, yeah. Mm. Well, it's impossible to really fail, so... Um, <laughs> you have to worry anymore. <laughs> so, oh wow, my, my fear, it's been healed. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it's, well, I guess my fear is the story that I will tell myself about my worth as a person mm. if... I don't do something that has an ideal outcome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, beautiful. Yeah. And where do you think fears normally come from? I honestly just making it really simple. Mm. It's it's survival. True. At our basic need, it's survival. It's mm. the fear of um, if I do this thing, what does that mean about my ability to survive? And that could either be a physical threat, 
mm. in terms of, you know, I'm afraid of sharks, I'm afraid of spiders. Mm. They pose a physical threat. But then we also have fear of rejection, fear of public mm. speaking, fear of failure, <laughs> yeah. fear of abandonment. You know, and we are social beings. We actually need connection as much as we need food, water, shelter, warmth. And so being like expelled from our tribe, from the group of people that make us safe, that's as much of a threat to our life as not having food or having water. And so, of course, these social things and the story that we tell ourselves about what this means about us being accepted or rejected, mm. of course, that's going to feel the same as being bitten by a shark, bitten yeah. by a spider. Yeah. Yeah, because innately it comes down to wanting to survive. True. Yeah. Oh, magic. Um, <laughs> what do you think dreams are? Or are there like different levels or stages or events in dreams that are, yeah, just purely mental or something, something more mm. than just imagination? I love the concept of dreams because we they're just still so mystical and so mm. mysterious that we just can't explain them properly yet. Mm. Um, it's interesting because when we when we dream, most of the time our little reality switch in our brain just turns off and says, I need to rest now. Mm. However, there are still some other areas of our brain that are turned on. So in terms of our, our sensory kind of system can still be turned on. Our hippocampus involved in our memory is still mm. on, which is why in our dreams we can kind of dream about things that have happened and mm. things that we've been through because our memory is still kind of playing in our dreams. And, wow. you know, our brain, it, it, it needs to be, it does need to be on. And, and if it's not, it, we're, we're brain dead. We, we, we're comatose, we die. Yeah. And so our brain is just, it's, it's still on and it's mm. trying to make sense and conceptualize our experiences. And I think just what makes it a bit more tricky is that that reality switch is turned off. So it's our brain is just trying to make this attempt of understanding the things that we've been through, attributing mm. meaning to them, all the while with the reality switch off. Okay. Yeah. And the thing that is still so mysterious to me is um, the idea of premonitions. Or premonitions. Yes. Mm. So how are we then able to dream things that then come true? So that to me is still a mystery. Have you ever met someone who had a dream that came true? Say that again. Have you ever met somebody who's had a dream that has come true? Yeah, myself. Oh, really? Yes. Is that a multiple occurrence or just like one or two? Uh, it's been enough for me to have a curiosity ignited about it and wow. not just dismiss it as, oh, that's kind of weird. Mm. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Yeah, I had an old, um, an old boss of mine and she had a, a premonition. She had a lot of dreams that came true, but she wanted to suppress it and not have it anymore. But there's one dream she had where her brother was walking through this alleyway on the way to their, um, their business, mm -hmm. their family business, and she saw him get stabbed in the alleyway. And she'd recognized the whole location and she's yep. like, don't go to work or don't walk in the alleyway to the brother. Wow. But so he didn't. But one of the other workers was walking down the same alleyway and he got stabbed in the alleyway. Oh my God. 
and she was freaking out and she's like, I don't want this gift. I don't want it. Yes. It's like, who wants to have those kind of dreams and that kind of responsibility? Yes. yes. You know, but it kind of came true. Mm. You know? And that happened multiple times in, in her life. Which is interesting, mm-hmm. you know. Reminds me of that show, like Medium. Remember that show with Detective? She's a medium. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do remember that show actually. And well, you lost your mic. Ooh. One second, twist it this way. There we go. Yeah. Let's put pull that back up. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I. And I mean, this is getting this is getting quite esoteric, oh. metaphysical, I suppose. The only way that I can potentially conceptualise premonitions, etc., is, you know, the idea of, of soul contract, is mm. that we were here and our soul knows exactly what it's going to go through. And so it might just be like a little peep show into, hey, mm. <laughs> this True. is what your soul's going to go through. It might just wow. be that little kind of our soul just flirting and toying with us a little bit. Wow. Mm. That, that sounds very beautiful, but also very dark as well. Like, if <laughs> something goes wrong, it's just like, well, thanks a lot. You know, but <laughs> it's the, it's mm. the, um, the trickster of the soul. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you think everything is preordained or there is room for free will and mishaps and things of that nature? Mm. Free will is a big question, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they have a little bit of free will. but I, I, think, I think that the universe is a bit of salt bay with the free will. Just a little bit. <laughs> A little bit, yeah. A little bit. <laughs> mm. But we definitely don't have as much as we feel comfortable thinking that we do. Mm. That's really interesting. Because <laughs> like, I was under the impression that there are no coincidences, there are no coincidences at all. Mm. But at the same time, it's like, well, why do, we have a, have, why do we think and have the ability to think and to reason if it's no point anyway? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and I have heard of like people like Nostradamus have a prophecy mm. about how the world's going to be. And then they sort of say that it doesn't have to be this way because there's multiple realities, but then it could be like, maybe you have like four options or four train tracks you can go onto and then that's preordained yep. as well. But yeah. Did you ever read the Goosebumps like pick an ending book when you oh, were younger? Oh, I think so, yeah. Oh my gosh. That's pretty cool. Oh, have you seen the show um, Bandersnatch on Netflix where you get to choose the ending? Or you yes. Get to, yeah, that was cool. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Maybe that's what life is, eh? <laughs> A game of Bandersnatch. Okay. Now, um, that's a very interesting question. I may skip that one. Um, I'll ask you, ask you if you want to skip it, just skip it. Um, what is your experience with spirit, and do you know a reason why spingers, spingers, spirits linger on the earth? My experience with spirit has been interesting. It's mm kind of been like an open and a closed gate. So um, I have actually experienced seeing my, my grandma. I had never seen photos of her before. Um, I'd never met her before, unfortunately. She died mm. a bit younger, a bit prematurely, okay. um, didn't really have the most fortuitous life and didn't have a great relationship with my mum. In fact, okay. there was no relationship. So mum had no reason to tell me about grandma or to show me grandma. Um, I saw her on the end of my bed and oh. I panicked, I freaked. I went to mum 
and told her, described her exactly who, what I saw. Mm. Mum then disappeared. She came back with a photo. Said, is this who you saw? I said, skinnier, bit more gaunt, Mm. older, yes. What is gaunt? Like cheeks, kind of like sullen and eyes like really just sunken in. Okay. Yeah, so like lacking life. Okay. Um, And she's like, yeah, that's my mum. Um, and there's just been a number of experiences like that in terms of, um, I had a very good friend of mine whose brother passed away when, mm. when we were in high school, I saw him. Wow. Um, yeah, there's just been a number of people that I have seen and mm. it's been quite interesting and I feel that spirits linger because perhaps they weren't able to fulfil the purpose that they wanted to whilst they were in a body. And so before they can move on, Mm. they need to still be able to fulfill that purpose, that that kind of karmic debt, I suppose, before. How do you you think they can repay that karma when they don't have a physical body? There are ways. So I, I am friends with a few people who, yeah, who, who are mediums um, mm. and they've described t- to me people in that I've had in my life that they shouldn't know about. So one of the friends and, and colleagues that I have, 50-year-old woman, we grew up completely different areas. Mm. Um, we have no connections, no mutual friends. We don't have each other on social media. Mm. Um, she asked me, who is your friend that passed? And I knew what she was getting at, so I said, male or female? I was testing her. Mm. She's like, female? I was like, come on, tell me more. Mm. She's like, young, about 15, 16. She had your back more than anyone. But she was in a lot of pain. And she, I won't go into too much detail, but she mm. was describing um, pain in an area of her body. And I knew that she was talking about my friend that had passed prematurely when I was 16. And she shouldn't have known about my friend. Yeah. I don't post about her on social media, nothing. Mm. There is no way that she should have known about her, but she did. And this same person also told me about my grandma. Um, And she said to me that my grandma was trying to be there as a support for me because she wasn't able to be there to support my mum. Mm. And she feels like mum is so closed off to her. And so the only way that she can get to mum is through me. Wow. Yeah. And so there's been times where I have seen grandma or I've just, I've just had this thing like in, in my head, can't explain it. Like I a remember, thought or a feeling or like yeah, a... Yeah, like, like a thought. Mm. Um, so, like I mentioned to you in terms of my perfectionism, I was, I received hypnotherapy about mm. it, um, went on some plant medicine journeys to try and explore that, to try and move through it, move past mm. it, because it was really impacting my life. Yeah. Um, and I remember meditating on it one time and I just asked the question, Why? Where does this come from? And I straight away got the message of 
Paris, it's not yours. It was passed down to you. Mm. And I just had this image of grandma. And I was like, oh my gosh, like she's here. She answered that question just then. And mm. so I truly feel like in her own way, like she is still there to try and support me, mm. but she can't get through to mum. And she, she passed on a message to me actually. Mm. And I, I went to mum and, and mum cried. And I said to her, I was like, Mum, Grandma wanted to say that she's sorry that she yelled all the time, but that was the only time that she ever had a voice because mm. she was silenced so much. Wow. Yeah. And so I guess, yeah, in her way, she is fulfilling the purpose of wanting to be a nurturing, supportive mother role. Yeah in the only way that she can. And then once she feels okay and fulfilled with that, then she can truly move on. Wow, that's beautiful. Um, it was a tough generation, uh, grandparents' generation. Oh my gosh, wasn't it Was just... that in Australia for your grandmother or was it somewhere else? Yeah, they did move over from the UK to Australia. Okay. Yep. Mm. Yeah. My, yeah, my mother's side, the lineage came from Scotland and the UK, moved over here. Mm -hmm. And the stories that they tell were just like, I don't know how they did it. Yeah. Like living out in like um, the north, in, in the heat, just working all the time and like mm. their kids were in like orphanages and they were just getting beaten and it was just, this yeah. Oh my matters, gosh, yeah. yeah. But and a very tough generation, this very, yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah, built incredibly tough. And even, um, you know, the stories that I hear from one of my other grandmothers um, who's Latvian, she was born in a concentration camp. Wow. And like that is, there are people walking around to this day that were still from that era. You know, mm. we think it was oh, 100 years ago and they're all dead. No, no, no they're still amongst us. Mm. And it still is passed down, yeah. you know, the, the impacts of that. Mm. Is, it, is it harder working through something that's handed down ancestrally than it is to just something that's picked up in childhood or is it just merged in? Undeniably. Undeniably. Undeniably more difficult because mm. it's, it's epigenetic, it's built into your very DNA. Mm. It's not something that's like, you know, just slapped on and let's scrape it off. Yeah. It's we actually have to do the drilling and the digging. Mm. Mm. That's really interesting. Hey? Yeah, kind of like, um, I don't know, to, to put analogy to it, uh, like dentistry, you know, it's not like plaque that we can just brush off. Mm. It's something that's like right deep down into the tooth that we mm. require the drill. And the drilling is a lot more painful than a bit of a scraping, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Um, I had a really good question following this, but I just lost it. It'll come back. Um, <laughs> mm, I hope it comes back because that was like, I was just dying to ask you. About it, and then like, <laughs> the whole tooth analogy got me. <laughs> Damn um, dentist. <laughs> okay. In your practice of psychology, mm. do they take that into account of ancestral trauma and things of that nature, or is it sort of still a bit on the on the cusp? The good ones do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there are some um, there are some phenomenal experts out there. Um, Bessel van der Kolk, mm. Gabor Mate. They yeah. recognise mm. um, the the epigenetics and and the trauma, um, but yeah, not a lot of people do. Yeah. Yeah. Is there some cases that you may think or may know of, of schizophrenia, of actually being someone who's, whether they've done drugs or something, they've, they've opened the door to their mind and they're hearing things like, 
spirits in their head, mm -hmm. in their head that are actually real, really happening, but not just a hallucination in the mind. Is, have you come across any of this at all, or do you believe that exists? I, I wouldn't discount that. I would not discount that. Mm. Um, to be honest, I haven't come across it as much because a lot of, just based on my professional experience, a lot of the schizophrenia or psychosis mm. that I've come across um, working in the addiction space okay. has been from drugs. Yeah. Yes. Sure, yeah. Yeah. What kind of drugs are the ones that really spur on schizophrenia? Mm -hmm. um, it's a nice little cocktail. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's interesting because I feel like um, we can't just say it is the drug because mm. otherwise everyone who takes that drug would have that impact. Um, people kind of have to have the, the gene and carry the gene mm. for it, for that gene to be unlocked. However, um, the two that I have seen are um, methamphetamines and also cannabis. Really? Yep. Yes. Yeah, yeah, my mum. She worked in mental health her whole life mm. in uh, Greylands, and she's like, completely do not have cannabis ever. Like, it will cook you, it'll turn mm. on the genes, schizophrenia, blah, blah, blah. But I smoked my fair share of cannabis in my time. Yeah. And um, I'm so grateful I didn't, didn't have that gene. Yes. Maybe I did, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, is there any way to undo that if it's just from cannabis? Once it's been, or it's like Pandora's box, once it's opened, it's like good luck getting it back in. I think you can manage it. Mm. But I don't think that you can ever undo atrophy it, it or wow. undo it. That's a scary thought, yeah. isn't it? It has been managed. Mm. Um, there's actually a brilliant TED talk on it. I might have to send it to you. Um, but I'm sure you. if anyone interested, um, mm. you know, woman yeah. who healed schizophrenia TED talk. Yeah. Yeah. Google it. Um, yeah, your your Google ads and suggestions might be interesting after you yeah. <laughs> Google something like that. Absolutely. Um, maybe use Brave <laughs> as yeah. your web browser. Um, mm. But yeah, it's, yeah. Um, I think we also just have to understand that there is use and there's misuse. Mm. There is use of MDMA and there's misuse. Mm. There is use of... <laughs> Paracetamol, pa and there's oh, yeah. misuse. Mm. Cordon flu tablets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. There is use of coffee, and there's misuse. Yeah. You know, I think it's um, balancing. Cordon flu tablets. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. It, it would be poignant of us to really discern use and misuse. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I worked in mental health for quite a while, working mm -hmm. in accommodation support and that sort of thing. And I've worked with a lot of people with schizophrenia. Mm. Um, I've got to slow down. <laughs> I'm very excited to get this out. But some people with schizophrenia were like just really just lying all the time and making up stories. But there were some people that were hearing voices and quite strange. And I'd be in the house with them. And he'd turn his head like if he heard something like whispering. And I was hearing the fucking whispering in the house. Mm. And I was freaking out. I'm like, I don't want to be here anymore. Okay. But it just felt like there was something with this guy like an attachment or some kind of spirit or something that was happening because I was hearing the freaking whispers. I don't know whether this is like you become like who you hang mm. around. If, if so, I'm in, I'm in the wrong industry. Um, but I only experienced it in that house and never again. So I was like, well, that's kind of freaky. Mm. Mm. So then I would argue, is that schizophrenia or is that just like a human spiritual thing that you had yeah. in that house and with that person? Mm. That guy mm. was also very, very aggressive and had a past of 
not so nice stuff. So mm-hmm. it could just be like, like attracts like, not in the physical, but also the spiritual as well. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, well, <laughs> on a more positive note, um, what are your thoughts on past lives and things of that nature? Have you, have you had an experience of memories coming to you or experience of meeting people that feel a resonance or have you ever had any of this kind of stuff in your world? I, I haven't necessarily had an experience of past lives. Mm. Um, however, I have been told my whole life that I am an old soul and mm. I truly believe that. And there's been instances where I can look at a small child and I just get the sense that this isn't their first rodeo. And mm. an example, um, my boss showed me her granddaughter that she was so excited to spend time with over the weekend because her kids, so her granddaughter's parents, were going mm. away. And she showed me a photo and, and I looked at this child and I then looked at my boss. I said, she's an old soul, isn't she? She's like, yeah, how'd you know? Well, You could just tell. Mm. You can just tell looking at the face and the eyes. Um, so, yeah, I, I do believe that all of the energy that has ever existed on earth mm. still exists in this day. Otherwise, it'll just, can I swear? Oh, yeah, of course. Oh, it'll yeah. just fuck with the whole, like, ecosystem of how this giant floating rock is floating in space if we mm. mess with the, with the energy. True. And so the same goes for, for soul, for spirit. That's, that's all energy, right? Mm. So where is it all going? Like, it has to go somewhere, and I feel like it, it recycles. Mm. Um, and, yeah, there was actually this really interesting study done where they, um, the researchers kind of put these, like, people who were dying in, like, these incubators, um, tested for all of these extraneous variables, and when these people passed, they lost weight, like 0.7 grams or something like that. Oh, this is the one that was measured again and again and again. It was always the same amount of weight. Yes. Mm. Yeah. And this, they said, we, we can't explain this. Yeah. I didn't know the soul would be 1.7 grams. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> um, and yeah, the only thing that they could attribute that was to this could be potential evidence for the soul. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that study has been replicated, though. Mm. Um, so it's always just a bit anecdotal and a bit of food for thought. But there was a lot of cases of that exact yeah. same number coming up. Yes, mm. exactly. Not a coincidence. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I truly believe that, um, yeah, all of the energy that has ever existed on this earth still exists on this earth today. And mm. whether that be from... I don't know, from a dolphin to a human or from a human passed down and then off it goes. Yeah. <laughs> Do you reckon like spirits are recycled the same way matter is recycled? That we live this spiritual life for a number of lives and then we go back to source, get recycled and start again? Yeah, undeniably. Yeah. Undeniably. I actually feel, um, and it's kind of how I guess I can make sense of a lot of the, the, the travesty that goes on in the world is, are you familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Yeah, yeah. Yes. So I believe that like each lifetime we kind of come here and we just fulfill like that one need, I mm. guess. So, okay, my soul needs to understand how to meet like 
this need, just this yeah. need of survival. And the next one is like the need for connection. The next one is need for like esteem. The next one is like purpose. Mm. And then, you know, we have the people who come here and they have the, you know, that self-actualization and mm. they would be the, the Gandhis and the Mother Teresas Beautiful. and the Mandelas well, the of, yeah. of the world. And, you know, sure. they're very self-actualized and off they go. Mm. <laughs> All right, are you ready? Always, I was born ready. <laughs> Beautiful. Okay, now if you could have one thought implanted into the collective consciousness of humankind, what would you want to implant? One thought or idea? An idea, live your life by design and not by default. Mm. What are some steps one can begin to take their life by design? Or start living a life by design? You have to figure out what you actually want. Mm. What is it that you want? Yeah. And then how is that different from what you're told that you're supposed to want? Mm. And is there like a process though, like like a vision board or a journaling or like a writing your goals down or something you can sort of like do or is it more just a being type thing? I, I feel My, like it's both. Yeah. It's both. It's both a, both a mental, emotional, spiritual and mm. a doing. Okay. So in terms of the, the mentality, what do you want your life to look like? Um, what is actually getting in the way of you believing that this is possible for mm. you? How do you want to feel? What does your ideal life, what do you want to feel? Um, mm. I feel like that's really, really important to have that emotional tie and that emotional hook um, is incredibly important. Mm. And, you know, our feelings and, and our intuition hold so much wisdom. Um, and it would be doing ourselves and our dream life a disservice to not call upon the wisdom of these these feelings and sensations, these emotions, mm. this intuition. Um, the, the spiritual element as well. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of working through the blocks of, well, why, why do I not already feel like this life is available to me now? And then we need to be taking aligned action on that. Mm. And so if I'm conceptualizing this ideal self, this ideal life, how do I want to feel? And I'm doing things that are incomplete, like disalignment to that and mm. don't match, I'm not going to be building that life. So let's just say that oh, my ideal life is that I'm going to have people around me that are um, driven, that are disciplined, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to say motivated because discipline eats motivation for breakfast every morning. So <laughs> discipline, they're driven, they're, they're committed, um, they're compassionate. You know, so if I want to say this is the kind of life that I want to have, this is the people that I want to surround myself. And then I surround myself with people who are spending six hours a day on Instagram, mm. getting drunk every weekend, yeah. um, eating fast food, uh, just surface level stuff. Yeah. That's not aligned action. Mm. And so we need to be conceptualizing the things and then actually making sure that we are doing the things. And so for me, one way that I started to do that was that I, um, I actually, 
I want to be able to live a life with like a little bit of luxury. Mm. And I say that with con- like with conviction and confidence. Yeah. I want to live a life with a little or maybe a lot of luxury. Yeah. And that maybe doesn't mean that, yeah, yeah, that doesn't mean like Gucci yeah. handbags. This just means yeah. that if I see something that I like, if yeah. I I want to be able to have that. And Maybe that means, no, not maybe, definitely. Mm. I think whenever I think of luxury, I think of my home, I think of my sanctuary. I I don't think of my belts, my handbags and my shoes. Mm. I think of the environment that I am putting my body, my soul into. And so then I thought, okay, how am I treating my environment now? Because if I say, oh yeah, in one year's time, I want to live, you know, in Fremantle and I want to have this beautiful home and I would be, mm. want to be driving this pretty groovy car. Mm. Well, how am I actually treating my home and my car now? Am I in aligned action with what I want for the future? Mm. And so then I thought, okay, I need to be making sure that I'm making my bed every morning, tidying my room, get rid of the crap that I don't actually need. As we are speaking, my car is getting a detail and then it's getting a service tomorrow. I'm taking care of my car. Mm. And so... It's actually getting a detailing right now. Yeah, I've dropped it off. I got an Uber here. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm thinking of, okay, if this is what I want to be doing in the future, living Mm. my life by design, how do I need to be acting now? What is the action that I need to be taking now Mm. for those steps for me to reach that destination? Wow. Yep. So you do believe that mental illness could come from people living out of alignment with that goal that they have somewhere in their mind? Yes. Mm. Beautiful. That's a lot to think about. (laughs) (laughs) Always, my friend. That's awesome. Okay. I want to talk to you about your self-care routines. What are some stuff that you do to take care of your physical health, mental health and spiritual health? Mm. So, in order, um, physical... And your skin routine. <laughs> yeah. My skin routine. <laughs> mm. um, so, my physical, and then my mental, and then my spiritual, and then my skin routine. Yes. Um, my, <laughs> my physical health. Um, my physical health is of utmost importance to me. Mm. Um, I have found a diet that works for me and my body, and that mm. is a plant-based diet. Um, I do actually get my meals, like meal prepped for me. Um, I figured that it was, I'm spending the same amount, but actually spending less time doing it myself in terms of shopping, prepping, cleaning, etc. Um, so my food and my dietary requirements are incredibly important to me. Mm. Um, and that, that lifestyle doesn't suit everyone. It doesn't suit everybody. And that's yeah. so okay. But it's worked for me for mm. almost, it'll be eight years coming up in October. Wow. Um, so my diet is incredibly important to me. It allows me to have the energy to be able to do all of the things that I want to be able to do in this lifetime. Mm. My exercise, exercise regime is pretty in Nick. So I do weights resistance training about twice a week. I do yoga twice a week. Um, That's also my spiritual and my mental self-care is yoga as well. Um, I do boxing maybe once or twice a week and then I might go for a run maybe once every two, three weeks or so. Awesome. Yeah, yep. My mental um, self-care, 
I don't watch the news. I very rarely watch TV. If mm. I do, I have to log into someone else's account. Um, <laughs> so it's just annoying having to like, hey, can I have your login details? I just want to watch this one show. Yeah. Um, but look, there's the Game of Thrones um, prequel that's come out and the Rings mm. of Power, which is Lord of the Rings. So I will oh, be wow. asking for, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for yeah. someone's um, yeah login details for that. So I don't... I am very particular with the um, the food that I'm putting into my body mm. and then the mental food that I'm giving my mind as well in terms of the information that I'm taking in. Okay. Um, journaling a lot. Yeah. So just releasing everything, meditation as mm. well. Um, and I, my mental self-care is actually... It seems a bit counterintuitive at first, but bear with me when I explain it. I do things that are hard and that are uncomfortable on purpose. Mm, like David Goggins? Pardon? Like David Goggins? Oh my gosh, if I could even be a fraction of what that man is, <laughs> he inspires me, but I, yeah. I don't think that I am mm. at that level. But with that, that kind of mindset though, like... Yes, I of, do things yeah. that are uncomfortable. I do mm. the ice baths. I wake mm. up at six and go into and swim into the ocean. Um, I do even boxing. It's hard and it's uncomfortable. Um, mm. I'm wanting to get into Brazilian jiu-jitsu just to be able to reprogram my my mind and mm. you know uh, the fight, flight, freeze response. Okay. I do things that are hard and that are uncomfortable mm. on purpose, so that if I come across something in life that's a little bit uncomfortable and a little bit hard, mm. I can just think, yeah. But it's not as bad as that thing that I did. Yeah. And so that for me is my mental self-care as well. Yeah, I'm beautiful. particular with who I give my time and energy and attention mm. to as well. Yeah, big, big one. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, my, my spiritual self-care um, would definitely be uh, meditation. And something else that I like to do is um, a lot of people, a lot of people talk about cord cutting. There's a concept that I like to do. I don't know, surely I can't be the only one that's kind of thought of it, but I thought about, well, when you cut weeds, they grow back. Mm. If you want to fully remove that weed from your garden, you have to pull it from the roots. Mm. And so I kind of conceptualize, you know, this like root pulling. So removing all of the stuff that's kind of, that I feel maybe has a hold on me yeah. um, as more of that spiritual self-care. Mm. Um, yeah, and the ocean. The ocean for me, like I feel incredibly connected to the earth, so to the ocean or to the forest. That mm. for me is an incredibly spiritual experience. Yeah. Um, so I cleanse. That is where I cleanse. That is where I reset. I go into those places to move with the rhythm of the waves, to breathe at the stillness and the rate that the trees breathe so that I'm not around Perth and I'm kind of talking and I'm moving and I'm focusing and I'm, and I'm you know, yeah. functioning at the rate that the cars are moving around. You know, yeah. it's like when I'm out in nature, I'm moving with the rhythm of nature. And mm. so that for me is where I feel incredibly connected to source, spirit. Beautiful. Yeah. Okay. One of, our, one of my final questions, um, <laughs> what's an experience that you've had that has really helped you like have an aha moment or breakthrough or just completely change your perception of the world? Whether that be a super spiritual experience or just a simple happening, but something that really changed the game for you? There would have to be 
two. Two. Two things that I have done in my life, not isolated incidences, um, that have really shaped me as a person. Mm. One of them that comes to mind, just as you said that, um, honestly, it would be facilitating group therapy for disadvantaged men experiencing addiction. Mm. I sat in a room as a female, young female, mm. pretty fresh and shiny out of uni. Mm. And they trusted me with their shame. They trusted me with their stories. They trusted me with their hopes, their fears, their dreams, their desires, mm. their barriers, their hurdles. Um, and that was humbling and such a privilege. And I mm. learned so much about what it means to be a human being from those people. In fact, I feel that those men taught me more than I taught them mm. about how do we overcome addiction? <laughs> Sure, yeah. They taught me more about what it means to be a resilient human being, to feel like I can go through the depths of hell and still have the strength to keep walking because I believe that there is still something out here worth fighting and surviving for. And mm. they really helped me to formulate the belief that we have to believe the world is a beautiful place. Otherwise, what are we fighting for? It's so easy to get bogged down in a lot of the cacophony of shit that mm. we are bombarded with every day. But mm. they still somehow felt that there was hope and beauty mm. in the world. And that's why they came to that group, because they believed that there was something more. And if they can do that, like, why the fuck can't I? And then another life-changing experience was um, definitely my first, yeah, heroic dose of um, plant medicine. Absolutely. In my backyard, on my own, my journal, mm. my blanket, a Hero pillow. Heroic dose? Yes. Is yes. that we're talking five or more? Yes. So this was eight grams. Yeah. How did your life change from that experience? Um... Honestly, Brett, I can't even conceptualize it into words. I just felt like a different person and things to me made sense. Um, I was able to release things that I thought that I had gotten over but had actually just suppressed because visiting it was too dark for me and too mm. heavy for me and too much for me to conceptualize. I'd be able, I had felt and grieved and let go of all of those things. Um, it had all kind of made sense to me in terms of like the grand scheme of things. I had this, this weird vision of all of these. It kind of occurred like all of these events just flashed before my eyes and they started like whirring around and it kind of whirled into like this perfect little globe, like mm. those little globes that you get in gift shop. Yes, and yeah. it was just like this person was just holding it and they were like, do you get it? And I said, yes. And the meaning that I took from that was that it is all being perfectly constructed for you and not happened to you. Mm. Would I wish the experiences upon anyone else? Fuck no. Mm. Would I change it? Fuck no. Wow. 
how did you um, cope with the whole ceremony, so to speak, and all the happenings that were going on? Like, was it difficult to hold yourself in that space and go through that, or did to it be just honest, I I found it more difficult to be in a space around other people. Um, and I feel like that, like this is just, I can only speak from my experience. Mm. Um, that's because I had never really trusted that there had been other people in my life to be able to hold me. Mm. And that was just due to, to my experience of, of growing up. Yeah. Um, I've always been hyper independent. Mm. Um, and so for me, growing up, I always felt that I was the only person that could hold myself and that yeah. could be there for myself and not judge myself. And so uh, up until kind of recently, I'd only ever sat in ceremony by myself. Awesome, that makes a lot of sense. I resonate with that quite a lot. Yeah. What gave you the idea to, okay, I'm doing this heroic dose by myself in my backyard. Like what was the sort of catalyst to say, I'm doing this? I, I had had some experiences, had some cool visuals, had some cool messages, but nothing incredibly potent that I felt had actually changed me as a person, helped me mm. to understand and make sense and be a little more open-minded, mm. but not to acquire the level of healing that I was really looking for and so deeply yearning for. And I really felt that at that point I was ready. I was beyond ready for it. Mm. I said, you know, basically, I remember I had set everything out perfectly and I was just holding like this cup of tea in my hand and I said, my intention is to be taken to the places where I need to be taken. I'm ready. Give me what you've got, is wow. what I said. I said, give me what you've got. And let me tell you, it was handed to me. Oh, really? <laughs> It was, yeah, it was phenomenal. It was absolutely phenomenal. Do you feel like someone was there guiding you through it in spirit or someone somewhere speaking with you, holding you or conducive energies and stuff like that? You know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I do. No, no, I, I completely understand. Um, there's nothing that's really jumping out, like an answer isn't really jumping out at me. So part of mm. me wants to say no, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be so quick to discount or deny the idea that, mm. that there was something or someone there. Wow. Yeah. Beautiful. I think um, that's a wrap. Mm. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, let's hug it out. Yes. <laughs> oh, give me the Thank sugar. You.